0: what do you guys do when you feel like something has finally run its course? Or maybe you feel like something just maybe has lost its value in your life. What do you do? Well, if you're like me, typically you throw it away. Now, some of y'all, you guys got a little touch of hoarder. So you may have a, say, a garage you won't let anybody in or a little storage unit and I see some of y'all looking at each other like, but I think for a lot of people, when they feel like something's kind of run its course, it's really at the end of its life, they throw it away. But I wonder, have we become the kind of people that are too quick to discard the things that still have value? I read a story this week about a guy named Nigel Reynolds, and uh, Nigel was one of the first um, journalist to interview J.K. Rawlings after she wrote uh, her first Harry Potter book, uh, The Philosopher's Stone, and he, he went and interviewed her, and he, he got a copy of the book. She gave him a copy of the first edition of The Philosopher's Stone, and he took it home, and he read it, and he wrote his article, and, but really, Nigel just didn't think that it was going to turn out too much, so he threw it away. So today, if you went to go buy that, it cost you about 90,000 bucks. He just threw it away. There's a story of a woman in California who was cleaning out some old computers and some old TVs and some old cables and such. And so she took them to a recycling center in California. And as they started looking through, they said, hey, ma'am, hold on a second. I think you want to see this. And it was uh, an Apple One, right? You know, Steve Jobs' first creation. And so she took it home and sold it at auction for 200,000 bucks. Didn't know what she had. She thought it just didn't have any value. It just wasn't worth anything. There was a guy who was uh, actually out picking up trash in, um, in Phoenix, and he came upon a, a dumpster, and if somebody had put, put out some old things, and there was this painting, and then uh, here's a picture of it. it didn't look like much to, to, to him, and obviously to the owner, it didn't look like much. They threw it away, and so the guy picked it up and took it to have it appraised. It turns out it was a Jackson Pollock, and it appraised for 15 million dollars. Oh. We've all thrown away good stuff, set of keys or a wedding ring, but never a. <laughs> Jackson Pollock, right? Oh, man. But, but seriously, like I think sometimes we are really good at throwing things away. Then maybe we don't know what their value is. Or we donate something to Goodwill just because we want to get it out of the closet or the, the you know, garage or whatever. And, and we don't really realize what the, what the value is on things. And the reality is that I, I don't think we, we just do this with books and paintings and old computers. We do this with Relationships. We do this with our careers. We do this with the things that we love and the, the people that we love, and we tend to discard them too quick. I don't know if you've been there. I mean, think about how many people do you know that's walked away from a relationship that, from the outside looking in, you, you thought, man, I, you can redeem that? It's like, that's not over yet. But yet, you walk away because it's easier and it got hard and there was just too much tension. Or, or maybe you were in a career or position and you made a mistake. You said something stupid. You did something you shouldn't have done. And instead of working through the difficulty, you think, I just need to move on. I need to leave that job. I need to go find another career because I just can't come back from this. Some of us have been there. Others, it's a friendship. You know, it's a, it, it's a friendship and, and it's, it, you know, there were these great times, but then there was a rift. We didn't agree on something. Now we just can't communicate anymore. So I'm done with that. And we discard it and we throw it away. And what ends up happening to us, and I think a lot of us can see this in our lives, is we end up leaving this wake behind us of broken things, of discarded things, of trash, just kind of coming behind us of relationships and um, friendships and careers and hopes and dreams, and they're just kind of following behind us. And I wonder, does it have to be that way? Or, Or can we, as people, become the type of people who realize that there is still value in these things? And so can we restore them back to what they truly should have been. A few weeks ago, Courtney and I had a, had a friend who's got a place in Myrtle Beach, and he said, hey, come stay for free for the week. Just get here. We are like, yeah, it sounds great. Let's do it. So we found a cheap flight, flew to Myrtle Beach, and had a great time. But one of our last days, we took a dolphin tour. Um, anybody ever here taking a dolphin tour or a whale watching tour? they super fun. Uh, so here's our crew just uh, you know, kind of hanging out there, getting sunburned, and doing our thing, and it was really fun. We found this beautiful dolphin that we kind of followed around for about an hour, and it was, it was awesome. But there was this moment where he stops the boat, the captain stops the boat, and there's this trash bag that was floating in the water. And so he grabs the oar, and he's reaching for the trash bag. It takes him a couple minutes to get it out, because it's full of water, and he brings it over, and he says, you know, anytime we see any trash on the water, we, we, we have to pick it up. And so he starts kind of telling us a little bit, and he, he, he tells us that there's uh, kind of on the average eight to nine million metric tons of trash that end up in the ocean every year. And what happens is the turtles and the birds, they think it's food, right? I mean, the turtles think it's a jellyfish, and so they eat it. You know, the birds come down, and they get wrapped up in it, and those kind of things. And so he's kind of talking about this. And he, we've often been on tours where they, you know, they give us the pitch and those kind of things. And so we're, I'm waiting for it. You know, he's a really sweet guy. And he, he says, you know what I'd recommend you guys do? He said, well, if you ever just see trash, just pick it up and throw it away. And I thought to myself, it's something I can do, right? I mean, it's simple. It seems too simple, right? We want to fix big problems in the world. Let's do all of these things. Let's get rid of plastic. And Should we get rid of plastic? Probably, right? Should we start drinking out of water bottles and st- like this that we can refill? Probably, right? But, you know, one thing that I can do is I can pick up trash when I see it. If I'm walking on the beach or I'm walking down the street or I'm in the church yard, if I see trash, I I can pick it up and I can throw it away. Small changes of redeeming something and restoring something can end to a huge impact and difference later on. And I think the same goes for our lives. Like, we don't have to fix every problem that, that is going on in our world right now. But, you know, what we can do is we can fix one of them. And so we look at our broken relationships, or we look at our broken dreams, or we look at some career that we walked away away from, and then we got this like this dark cloud that's hanging over our heads. And what would it be like if we just kind of leaned in and said, let's try to restore what was thrown away? Let's pick up that piece of trash off the ground in my life and try to restore it. What I love about Easter is that Easter is God's demonstration that He comes and He takes what we've thrown away. And he takes what we think is broken and run its course and discarded, and he makes it new. He brings it new life. And Jesus, I think, wants us to see on Easter how he does this so that we can start one at a time picking up and restoring those things we've thrown away too. But for us to get it, we have to understand first why he did it and what it all means. And so today I'm really excited to to dig into this. If you have your Bibles, grab those. It will be in John chapter 20. We, if, if you're part of our church family and you've, you've been here the last month, we've been walking through the last week of Jesus' life. And so we see that on Sunday, Jesus rides in on a donkey into Jerusalem and everybody's declaring he's the king. This is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting on, the one that's going to push back Rome and is going to make Israel what it once was under Solomon and King David and all these guys that you may have heard of before. And then on Monday, Jesus rolls back in the temple and he starts flipping tables. And I'm sure the disciples are like, yeah, they're flexing, like, here he goes, this is going to be good. But what happens is he makes the, the chief priests and the elders so mad that they put a hit out on him, and they're going to kill him. And they've conspired with Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, for 30 pieces of silver to arrest him and put him to death. On Tuesday, Jesus knows he's got a hit out on him, so he's hanging out at his buddy Lazarus' house, and uh, Lazarus' sisters, Mary, like anoints Jesus with this really costly nard, and this ointment, this kind of perfume. And then on Wednesday, we don't know much, but then Thursday, they have the last supper together, and Jesus is arrested. And then there's Friday, where Jesus goes to, the, to, to, to trial, and he gets condemned, and he goes, and he hangs on the cross, and he takes his last breath, and he says, it is finished, and the, the skies become dark, and um, there's thunderbolts and lightning, and there's like the... the Curtain and the temple gets torn and all this stuff and everybody's like oh my gosh, but the disciples they ran and hid. The, the gospel biographies tell us that only a couple of them even followed Jesus to the cross. It was John and then the ladies like Mary and Salome and um, some of the other people, but the main group of Peter and, and John or Peter and James and these guys they all ran away, and so they're hiding. And I want you just to kind of put yourself in their shoes for a moment. For three years, they had been following Jesus. For three years, they had these hopes and these dreams that Jesus was going to be the one who was going to fix everything that was broken. And now, three years later, they see Jesus get arrested and they see him die on the cross. And so all of the things that they thought were building and growing have now been broken. Second round was made better than the last one. I think it's okay. <laughs> so do you know what that feels like? I mean, I, I think we do. I think so many of us in our life have got that call from the doctor that it's cancer. Or we've got the call from the boss that it's, sorry, it's time to let you go. Or you got the call from, you, you know, your, your, your significant other and they say, no, it's not, it's not me, it's you, Right? And, and it feels broken. It is things like the, the things around us feel shattered, and they feel broken, and our hope seems lost. But what I love about Easter is it's going to show us that God takes these broken things like this, and he brings them back together to make them new, to take what we th- wanted to throw away, like this pot, and bring it to new life. So this is what I want us to see today. Jesus takes what we throw away and gives it new life. Look with me, John chapter 20. It's a Sunday morning. This is so good. John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them are running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Don't you love that little dig John gives? Like, John's like, I beat him there. I beat him there. He's just slow. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, now lying with the linen cloth, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself, and then the other disciple, this is John writing this, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. I just love the details in that. Isn't it so good? You know, there's been a lot of amazing things people have done in, in life. Like Michael Jordan jumping from the free throw line and slamming it home. Like, there it is. Like, grown Men pulling semi trucks, right? Like, like man, that's pretty amazing. There's some strong people out there. Some people can jump out the gym out there. But you know what? None of them have ever done. You guessed it, rise from the grave, right? Like the the most impressive act in history is Jesus rising from the grave. That he was on Friday, placed into the grave. He had had a spear pushed in his side. Blood and water came out. He was. Wrapped in spices, he was put in a tomb, and then on Saturday, everybody sat just depressed, and on Sunday morning, they went back to the tomb because the ladies wanted to do more, and the stone was rolled away. It's just amazing to, to just think about this. This right here is the greatest act in human history. So when I was in Israel, I had a chance to go to the garden tomb. As I said, this is what it looks like. And when you walk in, there's a kind of a, they call it like a weeping cavern, a little weeping room. And then on the right, there's a place for the body to be laid as it's wrapped in the linen cloths. And right outside of this is the, is the stone that they found. It was so amazing. Because, you know, we read these things and we're like, man, it sounds this is an interesting story. What does it mean? But then you go and you see it and you put your head in that tomb. Yeah, because you can walk in and you see the stone, how big it is. And you're like, man, like it just brings legs to... This reality, and it's just this amazing thing. And I love what it. it says that John, when he put his head in there, and he, John would have been there, right? John was the one guy with Mary who stayed at the, at the crucifixion. John put his head in there, and he saw Jesus wasn't there, and the cloth that was on Jesus' face is folded nicely in the corner. It wasn't like some of y'all who just get out of the shower and throw it on the floor. Like, it was folded nicely. Jesus likes things tidy. That's what I took away from that. But, <laughs> That's a sermon for another day. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that one later. But, but, you know, the reality is John, it says he, he believed. And I just love that. You know, for, for three years, John had followed Jesus, and Jesus had said a lot of things. You know, and Jesus did a lot of amazing things. Jesus healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. Jesus healed those who had leprosy. Jesus just helped people walk who couldn't walk. Jesus did all these really amazing things, and people wondered, could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah? Is this the one that's supposed to come? But there's a lot of things that were said about Jesus. No, he's a a bad guy. He's a liar. This guy's a lunatic. This guy actually has a demon. This guy is just a bad dude. And they dismissed him. But when John peeked in, he felt this spark in his soul that lit up. Like, man, everything Jesus said, I'm seeing it now. It's coming true. It makes sense. And he realized that Jesus wasn't this guy that God had just tapped and said, hey, I want you to do amazing things. That Jesus was truly the son of God, which means that Jesus was God. Like the empty tomb, it shows us that Jesus is divine, that he was able to rise from the dead and step out of the grave. And that, that means that Jesus is who he said he was. And if he is who he said he was, that means we should trust what he says. You know, there's this crazy scene in John 11, just a few pages over to your left. And Jesus is with Lazarus again. He's with Mary and Martha, Lazarus, his brothers and sisters. And Lazarus got sick and died. And so Mary sent word to to Jesus. or Mary and Martha sent word. Jesus, come, heal him. And Jesus waits. And he shows up into town in Bethany. And he walks over. And Martha runs out and meets Jesus. And she's like, Jesus, how come you didn't come? If you would have been here earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, he's not going to die. He'll live again. And she says, I know someday when all things are right, he'll live again. And Jesus said, no, no, no. He's going to live again today. Notice what Jesus says to her. He says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That I am the one that brings dead things back to life. And whoever believes in me, though he'll die physically, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says, do you believe this? It's like, yeah, we, we live in a broken world full of sin and ugliness, and so we, when, when our bodies give out, our bodies will physically die. But because of what Jesus has done for us, our souls are eternal, and our souls can live forever as we believe in him. And so Mar- Martha and Mary are like, yes, I believe in, I believe that, Jesus. Now, it's easy to say I believe in that, but then Jesus walks over to the tomb. He's like, he's like, Lazarus, come out. And Martha's like, Jesus, he's been in there four days. And in the King James, it's the best. He stinketh, right? And Jesus is like, I don't care. You know, it's fine. He's not going to stink anymore. Lazarus, come out. And he walks out full of linens. See, Lazarus doesn't fold like Jesus folds. So Lazarus, he walks out full of linens, and he comes back to life. And Mary and Martha see it, and they're like, all right, Jesus. What you say must be true. And so John peeks his head in the empty tomb, and he sees Jesus is alive. And he's like, all right, Jesus. What you say must be true, and I think this has a, an impact on us today. See here, here, here's what I want to take home is this: at the Easter or on Easter, the empty tomb proves that Jesus is trustworthy. that the things that Jesus says, the promises that He makes to you and to me and to us, that He's trustworthy, that He's going to keep His word. Because on several, di- several different times, Jesus told his disciples, "Hey, I'm going to die." And they're like, "What are you talking about? And then I'm going to rise again, and they didn't understand it, or they didn't want to ask him. They didn't get it. But now they're starting to get it. What are some promises in your life that maybe Jesus has made, God has made, that you've had trouble trusting and believing? Because the Bible is full of them. God's word is full of them. Jesus says things like in Matthew 11, that if you're tired and you're weary, just come to him and he'll give you rest. it yeah, sounds nice, Jesus, but does that really work? Or John 10.10, 10, that everybody else wants to steal your joy and your happiness and your peace, but I come to give you. You, life, abundant life. Or maybe John 6 when he says that, hey, look, nobody will ever snatch you from God's hands when you've put your faith in me. Or John 13 14 where it says you don't have to be lonely anymore because you're now part of God's family. Or that you can trust Jesus in hard times because he'll never leave you. Because Jesus is better. And Jesus makes all these promises to us. And the question is, do we believe them? Or or do they seem just too far-fetched? They seem like they don't make sense. Or they seem like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to kind of trust you, but I'm also going to hedge my bets because just in case, I'm going to make it away. I think what Jesus wants you to see through the empty tomb, through a dead heart and dead lungs that began to breathe and beat again, that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. The empty tomb is the sign that Jesus keeps all of his promises. So, friends, I want to ask you, what is a promise that you feel like God has made to you that you're not sure about? Could Jesus be saying today, look to the empty tomb, look to the risen Savior and see that he keeps his promise every single time. So notice, back at the, back at the empty tomb, uh, Peter and John saw, and they ran away, and Mary, she stays there crying. Mary's really upset because she just, Jesus rescued her from prostitution, and he rescued her from being possessed by a demon, evil spirit, and all kinds of stuff. So Mary's just crying. She's there weeping, and notice this in verse 11, but Mary stood outside the tomb, and she wept. She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white. So they weren't there when John and Peter were there, I guess, and now she looks back, and there's these two angels. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, Well, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was him. She thought he was the gardener. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, so he's not just tidy, but he's got a green thumb, right? She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, "Mary." She heard his voice, and she knew it was him. And she turned to him, and she, she says, teacher. And, and she tries to give him a big old hug. And Jesus, it's interesting what Jesus says here in verse 17. He says, don't, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. You ever wondered why Jesus is like, hey, Mary, don't, don't give me a hug? I mean, I'm sure she gave him a hug, but it was like this picture, like she's clinging to him. Like when your three-year-old is on your leg because they're trying to get more Reese's, you know what I'm saying? Like the little Reese's minis, you know, you give them like three and they're like, I need ten, you know? So they're holding on to your leg. And... So I, I was doing some research on this this week. I thought it was really fascinating, you know. Most Bible scholars don't think that Jesus was actually telling her not to touch him, but that like, don't cling to me, don't sit and hold on to me because we've got some stuff to do, Right? Like, we can, we can stay in here and hug all day, and that'd be fine, but we really need to go tell the guys and the rest of the crew what's going on here because they need to know too. So I, I think it was that Jesus said, hey, look, we, we can't hear it and hug all day. We have to go and tell the group. So verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and he had said these things to her. This is cool. Check this out in verse 19. On the evening of that day, so this is a Sunday night now, The first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So Peter and and, and John and Mary are like, The tomb is empty. And Mary's like, I seen him. And yet they're still scared. They're still hiding because they're afraid they're gonna get arrested. And so it says that Jesus came and stood among them. He just like popped through the door, right? Door didn't even open. And Jesus is in there. And he said, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands, and he showed them his side. And the disciples were glad. It's like the understatement of all time, right? It's like they were glad. Oh, hey, man, it's good to see you. Right? I mean, have you ever seen a friend that you haven't seen for years? What do you do? You're like, what's up, bro? Good to see you, man. No, you're like, oh, right? And so, you know, they were more than glad. Translation error. We'll have to study that one later. So then this is good. Notice what Jesus does. Verse 21, he Jesus, said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when you, he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he had, he had told them that he was going to send the, 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 the helper or the comforter, the, the spirit. And so now he's, he's saying, Here, I, I'm gonna, I want to redeem the brokenness around you to something beautiful. Don't you notice what he's doing here. I, I learned about this organization recently called 4Ocean. And it's a really cool organization. What these guys do is they go into uh, what I showed you earlier, the, the trashy areas on the ocean, and they collect trash. And what they do is they take the, the plastic and they turn it into things like bracelets and other things. So like, And I ended up buying one um, just because I, I love the idea. It's just so gospel rich. Uh, for every bracelet, it's a pound of trash, a pound of plastic they've pulled out of the ocean. It's amazing. And so I was looking at some of these statistics, and uh, for Ocean, since 2017, hear this, they've pulled out more than 28 million pounds of trash out of the ocean. Isn't that amazing? But it's one piece at a time, right? They're, They're literally scooping this stuff out, and they're repurposing it, and they're turning it into something beautiful, or they're turning it into something that can help. And, and, and notice what Jesus is doing here. Like, Jesus takes these disciples who had thought everything was broken, and he says, I am calling you out now just as God has sent me. I'm going to send you, and he gives them the Holy Spirit. And he says, now you guys are on this beautiful mission to help bring new life to what was broken, to help repurpose what was thrown away, to take what was trashed and discarded and give it new life. See the empty tomb shows us that Jesus takes dead things and it gives them new life see there's a lot of picture, a lot of things in our culture a lot of opinions about Jesus a lot of thoughts on who Jesus was and what he did but if, if we look at what Scripture says about who Jesus is is that he takes dead things and he gives them new life he takes dead people like Lazarus and he brings them to new life he takes de- People whose lives have been thrown away, like Mary, who was a prostitute and had an unclean spirit, and he gives a new life. And he takes you and me and all the mess around us, and he gives us new life. It's so beautiful. It's just truly amazing. See, there's a lot of people who look at the world and say, well, Jesus is a great teacher. And Jesus was a very good moral person. Jesus was a great leader. Some people loved Jesus because he was a revolutionary. But you know what Paul has to say about Jesus what Paul says, he says, it wasn't Jesus' leadership or his teaching that's changed the scope of humanity forever. Like, Jesus can teach us so many good things, but it wasn't just that. What changed the scope of humanity and life forever was the empty tomb. Look, look at 1 Corinthians 15. Notice what Paul says. Follow his reasoning here. He says, if Christ, and if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is useless, and all your, you are all still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else. You know what Paul says? He says, if everything that Jesus said was good and taught us well and led well, and he died for our sins, but he didn't rise from the grave, then he's actually saying there's no new life available. It's like King Leonidas says in the movie 300, right? He's like, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? You guys seen that movie? If not, he does a way better impression than I do. And he, like, kicks the guy in the, in the hole. But Jesus is, is seriously, or Paul is seriously like, it's the resurrection of Jesus. It's the empty tomb of Jesus that means new life. Because otherwise, what's the point in doing all the stuff we do? We should just eat, drink, and be merry. We just go and do whatever we want to do. But notice what Paul says. He says, but that's not the case. Verse 20, but Christ has been raised from the dead. How do we know that Christ has been raised from the dead? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us. I'm glad you asked. verse 5, he says, He was seen by Peter, and he was then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Now, some people think, well, they saw Jesus in a dream, or some people saw Jesus... Um, because they, you know, were were not in their mind, or they, they found a good batch of peyote or something. But science has actually found that although people can um, experience out-of-body things, that you can't get 500 people at one time to do it, right? And so, you know, basically Paul's like, hey, 500 people saw Jesus alive, and most of them are still alive. Like, go ask them. You know what's really cool about this? Many Bible scholars think that, this section of 1 Corinthians 15 was written 12 years after Jesus died, maybe 15. And that this, this kind of creed has been around for many years before that. So, you know, this isn't something that was developed hundreds of years later. No, this is like 10 years later that, that he's, Paul's writing this and he's sharing this. He's like, yeah, Joe was there. And Joe's still alive. Like, go talk to Joe. Like, you can see it. And so this is the idea Paul is saying, that Jesus walking out of the grave proves everything about who he said he was, and it changes everything about us. It's not about rules. It's not about trying to check a box. It's not about trying to make God happy. It's about accepting the free gift that Jesus has given us and experiencing the new life that comes with it and just living out of that because Jesus came to pay for our sins on the cross, and then he rose from the grave, Why did he have to rise from the grave? Somebody say, so he could defeat death and sin forever. Isn't that beautiful? Like, he he went to the cross and he gave his life for our sins, but then he rose from the grave to defeat death and sin forever, which means that when you put your faith in him, you are not bound by sin that you can say no to sin, that you can overcome sin in your life. You're never going to be perfect. I'm going to trip. We're never going to be perfect. You're still going to stay. We're we're all in progress at some point. We're all in process at some point. But that means that we can say no to sin, and that means that Jesus defeated death, so when we say yes to him, that eternal life is ours. And we don't just say yes to Jesus so that someday we'll go to heaven. We'll say yes to Jesus because today I want to experience the new life that he's given me. I want to be able to walk in that and experience that and see the truth of that. Because Jesus has done it all forever. And this means that when you say yes to Jesus, like Lazarus, you can experience life, new life, and you can experience it today. See, there's been a lot of great teachers like Gandhi and Confucius and Aristotle. But you know what all three of those guys had in common? They all died, and they didn't come back from the grave. But Jesus, he did. Which means he's alive, which means he's alive today. And when you put your faith in him, he takes what is broken and discarded and trashed and makes it brand new. So notice, most of the disciples were there, but not all of them were there. I'm going to close with this. Here's Thomas. If you guys have grown up in church, Thomas has a nickname. What is it? Wouldn't you like to be known forever as the guy (laughs) that doubted that Jesus rose from the grave? You know, there's like Mary. She's known as the one that put expensive ointment on or nard on Jesus' head. And, you know, there's all these cool things. And then there's Thomas. You're like, oh, Thomas. (laughs) Too bad we're all like Thomas. I think that's why we're, you know, we give this this account because we're all like Thomas. So notice Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. I'm not sure who he looked like, but he was a twin. He looked like somebody. The twin. Uh, George Clooney maybe I don't know but he was the twin was not with them when Jesus came so the other disciples came and, and told him we have seen the Lord but he said to them unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails place my finger in the, into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side I'll never believe so notice this this is this is interesting he's like unless I put my hand on his ribs I'm not going to believe man so, so you know you think about it, though. Thomas is, is so much like us because doubt is such a part of the human experience. Anybody had a doubt this week about something, right? I think as believers, we all have doubts, right? It's, you're thinking about, is this God thing real? Is Jesus, is this the true? Like, we all have doubts, and even as believers, we're still going to have doubts. God, how does this all work? But I, I think one of the things we have to understand is how do we see the world, and how do we see what God is trying to teach us? How many of you this week text the praying hands emoji to a friend? right? You guys know the praying hand emoji? Or it's the grateful hands emoji? So I learned this week that when this emoji was created by Apple, it was actually created to be a high five. <laughs> Do you guys know that? <laughs> Believe it or not, the people at Apple are not believers. <laughs> like if you try to text somebody, you know, praying to God for you, it's like i praying to Gid for you, you know? Anyways, so that's supposed to be a high five, now, as, as Christians, we're like, oh, man, that's praying hands. Like, thank you, Apple, right? <laughs> thank you, Tim Cook, for finally answering my prayers. So, but it's all about perspective. So, right, if you're, if you're not a believer and, you, you know, your, your buddy texts you that he got the job, you send him the high five. If you're a believer and your buddy asks for prayer, you send him the praying hands. It's all about how you see the world, right? And that's true for all of us and all the things that we do. It's all about how we see the world, one of the things that Jesus is trying to get us to see, he's trying to get Thomas to see, so he can use Thomas' example for us, is that if we look through the empty tomb, if we look through what Jesus did for us on the cross, it helps everything else start making sense, because we have the right perspective to see it. So Thomas says, when I see it, I'm going to believe it. And so, Jesus wants to give him the right perspective. So what, what does Jesus do? He doesn't leave him guessing. He comes. Notice this in verse 26. So eight days later. And don't you love this, that Jesus never leaves you hanging? I want you guys to know this. Like Jesus will always continue to present himself to you. It might be through the words of a friend. It might be through some hegetsus.com ad on TV. It could be through a text or whatever, a cloud that looks like a cross, whatever. But he's going to continue to pursue you because he never leaves you hanging. And if you look back at your life, you're going to see so many times that Jesus has done something or used someone to put his word in your heart. And so notice he doesn't leave Thomas hanging. He comes back, verse 26, and eight days later, the disciples were inside again. Jesus makes them wait a whole week, though, right? It's kind of cruel. Like, he makes them wait a whole week. And and Thomas was with them, and and all again, the doors were locked. Jesus came and, and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And notice what Thomas answers. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He believed. He saw Jesus alive. and Now everything Jesus said, all the promises he made, he, he saw were true. And he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I think that's for us. He, he puts that here for us because although we see Jesus moving in our lives, we see Jesus using other people in our lives, like, we're, we're probably not going to be able to put our hands in Jesus' hand like Thomas did. But he shows us that we are blessed when we, when we believe and yet not see because we see the circumstances around it. We, read, we see the evidence. We think through the logistics. And we say, man, if, if Jesus is really dead and he rose from the grave, then I'm going with the guy that rose from the grave, right? And that's all that I need to see. And and we're all in different places on that. But the reality is let's ask those questions. If if you're in a place where you're like, I'm not sure about Jesus, ask the questions. Lean into it. Let your doubts carry you because you're going to find answers on the other side. I truly believe that. And so I, I just love this idea of faith. You know, Hebrews 11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. And so what is faith? Faith is trust. Somebody say faith is trust. trust. So we we put our faith in a lot of things. We think of this faith as this mystical thing, but we put our faith in a a lot of things all the time. I had a ladder back here, but somebody moved it. I probably should have told Darren I was going to use it. But think about it. You've got two ladders in front of you, and one is shaky and crappy, and he's got paint all over it, and one's really nice and strong. Which one are you going to stand on? Right? You, what, you're going to take a car and you're going to drive across the country on vacation. You're not going to drive the old Ford Pinto. Right? Like you're going to drive something that you trust is going to make it. And so I think it's the re- reality. Like what do we trust in? Like, I want you to ask yourself, what do you trust in? You may, you may not know, but I think you can look at your life and see. Because we're putting our trust in money, we're putting our trust in our careers, we're putting our trust in our husband or our wife or our our best friend, or we're putting our trust in our favorite team or whatever it is to bring happiness and joy to us and peace. And it's not going to do it. It's going to let us down. And so what do we do when it lets us down? We throw it away. We get rid of it. Because it didn't fit what we thought we needed. See, the reality is I think what the... The Bible is telling us, what Easter tells us is that when we put our trust in anything else besides Jesus, it's always going to let us down, and we're always going to throw it away. And could it be right now in your life the things that cause the most sting are, are things that you've recently thrown away and that you've recently discarded, and they were things that you once put your trust in, that relationship, that career, that dream. And now it's in the trash and you're, you're feeling the sting and the dark cloud from it. But truth be told, the, the reason that you feel that way is just because you put your hope in the wrong thing. You put your trust in the wrong thing. But could Jesus be saying to you, let's not throw out everything. Instead, why don't we redeem what has been broken? And what would it look like if we just let Jesus pick up those broken pieces? Those broken pieces that we have thrown away, or the things that we feel like were trashed, and we allow him to take those things and begin to put them back together. There's this thing in Japanese art called kintsugi. Somebody say kintsugi. It's this idea of taking broken things and through enough lacquer and through enough paint, bringing them back together. So what they do is, is they take what was broken and they build it back. They make it new again with gold and and beautiful, beautiful colors. And I think it's what a beautiful picture of our life that Jesus takes those broken things that we have thrown in the trash, that we have allowed to be discarded, and he takes them and he fits them back together into something beautiful. It's something that reminds us of the fractures so we can look back and we can see that it truly is Jesus who takes what, is, what has been thrown away and what is broken and he makes it new and he gives us new life and he invites us into this new journey of faith, this beautiful thing that we were created for. And he says, join me because this is what your heart seeks after and this is what is going to make you feel What would it look like if you let Jesus take those broken relationships, that dashed dream, that broken hope, that failed marriage, that difficult conversation with your mama, your dad, or your sister, or your brother, and you let him take that, and you let Jesus put it back together for you, and you trusted that he was going to do exactly what he knew needed to happen, and so you were just going to put it in his hands and follow? What would this world look like if we did that? What would your life look like, your family, your career, if we let Jesus begin to kintsugi our brokenness back together? Here's just why we're on, I want to land for today on Easter. Whatever you think is broken in your life or whatever you think is, is dying or has run its course or is near the end and you're thinking about throwing it away, don't. Don't do it. Instead, give it to God And ask Jesus to take that thing and make it brand new. And for some of us, that needs to start with us today. Here's what I want to ask you guys as we close here is, maybe there's something in your life right now that you need to redeem. There's a difficult conversation that needs to happen. Or there's a hard choice that needs to be made. Whatever that is, here's my encouragement to you for this week is to just give that to Jesus. And every day, just spend a a second, five seconds, ten seconds, two minutes, whatever, how much time you have, and just say, Jesus, I'm going to take this relationship that I think is over, and I'm going to ask you to restore it. I'm going to take this career that I'm thinking about walking away from right now because it's hard and I'm embarrassed, and I'm going to ask you to redeem it. And if that's you, I would just encourage you today to, to make that your prayer. We'll have a prayer team on the sides that would love to pray with you about this. How can Jesus restore what's been broken? See, for some of us, we we put our faith in Jesus, but then we've gotten the ups and downs of life, and it's messy, and it's hard, and we've started to think about how do we fix these things on our own, or how do we go, and we just throw things away and walk away from them, and they leave this scar in our heart, but we just ignore it until it's bedtime, and it weighs on us. Could it be that Jesus wants you to say, Jesus, I'm going to give all this to you, and I'm going to recommit myself to you today? And I want you to take what's been broken and what seems to be fractured and thrown away and give it new life. And there could be someone here today for the very first time says, Jesus, I want you to make me new. Because I've been trying, trying my way, trying so hard to figure it out on my own, and I can't. My friends, if that's you, I hope you can see that Jesus is saying to you today is that he comes to give us new life and to make you new. And through you, he wants to change the world. I want to invite the worship team back on stage, and we're going to continue to sing, but I just want to take a moment and pray, and if if you fall into one of those categories, I just want to give you a moment just to, to go before God and just say, God, I ask that you just move and begin to restore what's been broken, so would you pray with me?